Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a TV pioneer discusses the Jim Garrison files. 1967 CIA document addressed to the legal department at the CIA saying we must help Clay Shaw in New Orleans. Otherwise, Jim Garrison's going to get a conviction for conspiracy. Now, it doesn't prove at all that the CIA murdered him. It does prove that they were aiders and abettors right. for those who committed the crime. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, crime and trauma scene cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. To contact Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, visit crimescenecleaners.ca. Call 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. And I hope you enjoyed your turkey, pumpkin pie, and some American football. Recently, I had an opportunity to meet and spend some time with a real television pioneer, the godfather of reality television. John Barber is perhaps best known as the creator, producer, and host of Real People, the very first reality television show which aired from 1979 to 1984 on NBC. Prior to that, John was an Emmy Award-winning film and television critic in Los Angeles, a TV talk show host, and a stand-up comedian who appeared on The Merv Griffin Show, The Tonight Show, and The Dean Martin Show. He also went on to write for Francis Albert Sinatra. John is also known for interviewing Jim Garrison, the late New Orleans district attorney who charged and tried New Orleans businessman Clay Shaw for conspiracy to assassinate President John F. Kennedy. Garrison lost the case, but that trial and Garrison's book On the Trail of the Assassins formed the basis for Oliver Stone's 1992 film, JFK. John tried to interview Garrison in 1970 for his TV talk show out of LA, but was promptly fired as soon as word got out that Garrison had been booked. He did, however, manage to interview Garrison in the early 1980s. That interview can be seen in Barber's documentary, The Garrison Tapes, released in 1992. John also wrote and produced a second documentary, The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And most recently, earlier this year, he released his autobiography, Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American TV. John Barber, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm just terrific. And thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm delighted to be talking to you from my birthplace, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, born in the Salvation Army Hospital Charity Ward. Just thrilled to be with you. And I must say, you know, you know, um, uh, Ed Snowden has fled uh, the United States because revealing that the government was watching over us too much. Yes. And you want to know something, Richard? I think in the short time that I've been here, is the Canadian government is watching you people much more than the American government is watching us. Oh. And the reason I say that, and they're not just watching you personally, they're watching you parking. <laughs> you know that in the United States, if you find a place to park and you play a, pay a dollar into the meter, and if you stay for only 20 minutes, that leaves 40 minutes open. 
anybody can pull in park for 40 minutes for nothing. Sure. But not in Canada. I mean, they've got your car spotted. A wonderful actor came to the book signing uh, the the other day. As, uh, his name is Carmine Iacono, and he was played uncle somebody or other in one of your well-known television shows here, came to the book signing and he drove me back to the hotel and we had dinner and we told show business stories forever. But when we stopped on someplace to go into a clothing store, somebody pulled up and I said, oh, there's a spot. He says, no, I have to stay in this spot. I'm in. I said, but it'll be free. The guy paid for it. He said, no, no, I go in there and I got to pay again. So there you go. I'm shocked. We're so officious up here. Uh, listen, we gotta we gotta talk about Jim Garrison. I mean, I know it's a it's a very long, involved story because, I mean, as people can read in your book, your mother's not a virgin. It's been a long, uh, incredible road for you. But just give us sort of the Reader's Digest version of how a, a stand-up comedian, the godfather of reality television, uh, became interested in uh, Jim Garrison and his trial, his prosecution of, of Clay Shaw. Well, uh, Richard, you know, to me it was the greatest story in the United States, to me. Uh I was raised uh, read, uh, reading uh, Gordon Sinclair's books, uh, listening to Lauren Green on the CBC, or going to movies. So I was kept alive coming from a broken home and almost out in the streets when I was a kid from uh, listening to and reading stories. And so when I became a, Canadian, a comedian, when I went to the, to the United States, it was also a way of telling stories, but they were funny stories. Anyway, in, uh, in 1970, a company in the United States could only own seven television stations or seven, seven radio stations. Uh, unlike today, where Bill Clinton, because of his vile communications act, uh, now allows six major corporations to own 95% of all of American media. At that time, Local stations could be challenged by um, minorities or anybody, and there were thousands and thousands of Chicanos marching in Los Angeles because they weren't being represented by ABC on the local station. And so ABC caved into them and decided to do a morning show. And everybody thought a wonderful Mexican-American by the name of Mario Machado was going to get the uh, show most popular, best-looking, most famous Mexican in L.A. And he saw me one night working out stand-up at a club with Steve Martin. And he said, hey, John, you should just audition for this show because you'd be terrific. And I said, well, Mario, I do jokes. I said, you're going to get it to slam dunk. And he said, John, I'm a reader. You're an ad-libber. They need somebody, and all your jokes are political. So he gave me the name of the producer's name was Brad Lockman. By I auditioned against 30 famous people, and I got it. Now, I got the show in 1970. Jim Garrison, I recall, had arrested Clay Shaw in 1967, went on the news, and he said, we solved the case. The Central Intelligence of the United States killed our president, and we were going to get convictions. Well, everybody poo-pooed him, and I didn't pay any attention to it. It just, you know, I was just new there. I didn't know too much about the United States, although I was shocked by the murder of John Kennedy and the fact that he was killed by some lone nut named uh, Oswald. But the government stepped in for two years along with the media to keep him out of court. Now, I'm this street kid, Richard, and I tell my friends, hey, if the guy has nothing, why don't they get out of his way and let him fall on his face? But they didn't. Not until January 29th, 1969, he took Clay Shaw to trial. And the trial was almost over immediately, and it was reported to the world that he lost. That they, he had arrested Clay Shaw, as he just said, for conspiracy to kill John Kennedy. So that was it. And I forgot all about it. Uh, and accepted it, and I'm in a bookstore one day, and I pick up this autobi- uh, the story of the trial called Heritage of Stone. And I read it standing in the bookstore, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. 
Holy smokes. They never told us that he had a suit time life to get this approver film. And they never told us the pathologist at, uh, the, the Naval hospital, uh, said there was no autopsy because generals and admirals stopped it. I thought, holy smokes, this is a story. So I called him at his office in New Orleans, and he actually answered the phone. And I was so excited. I said, Mr. Garrison, I just read your book, Heritage of Stone. And he laughed, and he said, oh, Joe, you're the second one. I only sold two copies. (laughs) And I finally talked him in to coming on the show. And he said, interesting, he resisted it because he said, nobody will have me on the show. And I said, well, you know, I'm a storyteller. That's what I love. And I think this is the greatest unheard story, not only in America, in the world, your story of your investigation. And I read about it in the book, but I don't hear about it in the media, so I don't understand it. And he reluctantly agreed. And then he said to me, John, I'm going to tell you something. You're taking a chance because in the recent Harris polls, they said that here we are six years after the assassination, only 81% 81 of all Americans do not believe to this date the war report that Oswald did it or acted alone. And I said, wow, that's great. Maybe something will be done by the American people. They'll protest. He said, no, the second question in the poll was, Would you like to see a deeper investigation into the assassination of John Kennedy, which would also investigate the FBI and the CIA? And and he said, what does that say, John, about us Americans? And right away, Richard, I said, you know, I know what my mother and father did in the rumble seat of the car. We said rumble seats then, or on the uh, pool, pool table in the bedroom to conceive me. But don't ever tell me my mother's not a virgin. And he howled and he said, it, it's like Mark Twain has said, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. And young Mr. Barber, we have been fooled since November 22nd, 1963. Mm. And Richard, we continued to be even more fooled. And I booked him, and I was fired right away, and he was canceled right away. But honestly, I didn't think it had anything to do with my attempt to tell Jim Garrison's story. And that wasn't, my mind did not change about that until 1981, when I had the number one show in American television, real people, and tried to tell his his story and was fired and lost that show that I realized it had everything to do with trying to tell the truth about Jim Garrison to the American people. And you tried to get him on again with, uh, with Tom Brokaw, didn't you? Yes, uh, uh, Tom Brokaw... Was I was the first uh, person in America to review movies on the news. And when I lost the morning show where I started doing that, I was hired by Los Angeles Magazine. I was there for 10 years. And ta- you may remember the Munich Olympics. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, the Munich I- I- Olympics, uh, was believe uh, they said it was a Palestinian organization called Black Tuesday. They murdered the 10 of Israel's top athletes. And anyway, I happened to, one night I was watching the feed of Johnny Carson that night live from, I was at a local station to the NBC affiliate in New York and everybody stood and thought that that Carson was going to say something as Jack Parr would have about the tragedy. And he said not a word, not one word. He uh, joked about Ed Severinsen's uh, 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 drinking, uh, no, Doc Severinsen's uh, uh, wardrobe and Ed McMahon's uh, jacket. Uh, And that was it. And I was so offended. I threw threw away my review. This sounds like a scene out of a Frank Capra movie. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I threw down my review and I wrote a piece about what it must be a Jew like to be a Jew in the world today. And it became the official fundraising film for the United Jewish Appeal mm-hmm. and raised $40 million in two years. And Tom Brokaw saw it and said to NBC, this guy's got to be on our local station. So 
they hired me. Now, years later, Tom becomes uh, uh, an anchorman at NBC in New York and writes uh, The Greatest Generation. And there's something now on cable in America called the Military Network. Can you believe that? <laughs> we now have a military network. And he's doing an hour documentary on the 50th anniversary of the assassination. So I call him. I say, Tom, you know, nobody is talking about uh, uh, the fact that most Americans don't believe the war report. And nobody ever mentions Jim Garrison. And it is now a cold, open case at justice because of Jim Garrison's investigation. They found a Dicta Belt machine, HB, a motorcycle officer, H.B. McLean, left this Dicta Belt open, recorded more than four gunshots, so they know there's somebody else, even if there was Oswald. So let me talk for five minutes about Mr. Garrison's case. And he said, I love you, John, but no Mr. Garrison. And that was it. That was the end of it. Wow. And I offered, I offered the documentary free to every station in america every uh, november 22nd free and they all turned me down as a matter of fact i even offered it, offered it to the 10 leading assassination sites and i said listen you people already have people committed to the fact that they don't believe that oswald killed kennedy or had anything to do with it and a lot of you must be supporting garrison you can show this documentary free on your website to your people. And not one accepted. My word, he's radioactive. Still, all these years later. Yeah, oh, he, yes, he, he is. Because look, look at Project Mockingbird, how smart Garrison was. He arrested, uh, first he wanted to arrest Ferry because there was proof that Ferry was here. He's probably one of the pilots. And he conveniently committed suicide and left two suicide notes, so he had to arrest Shaw, but he had, because he had 80 witnesses that had seen Shaw with Lee Harvey Oswald and David Ferry. That's a slam dunk conviction right there. Oh, and by the way, he did lose the conspiracy case, but he won the perjury conviction. Hmm. And uh, yeah. he had, in the uh, garrison files, he reveals that a guy named James Whalen came to Jim Garrison and confessed under oath. He signed it. And he was offered $25,000 by Clay Shaw to murder Jim Garrison. And the witness to the this was uh, David Ferry. It was 10000 down and $15,000 afterwards. And the guy said the only reason he thought about it and came to Mr. Garrison is was he didn't need the money. His daughter was deathly ill, and Clay Shaw said, we'll save your daughter's life with, by far, the very best doctors in the United States of America. He said, but I thought, this is too big for me. The murder of the president and then the murder of the DA investigating it. So I came here, and I'll be glad to be a witness for you. Well, Garrison had that if he had a perjury trial. And Clay Shaw would have gotten 99 years, but he, too, died conveniently of a quick heart attack. Hmm. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Clay Shaw, because very interesting. He's uh, He was a playwright. He was, of course, the director of uh, the, the Trademark uh, for, for nearly 20 years. Um, and he gets, he's identified, we, we believe, or it's, it's quite clear he's identified as Clem Bertrand or Clay Bertrand in the Warren right. Commission report, in the Warren report. How did uh, Garrison make the connection between uh, this Clay or Clem Bertrand and Clay Shaw? Well, when he was arrested, and this is astonishing, I wish I could remember the name of the arresting officer. It was Habershold or some weird thing like that. And when he was uh, uh, fingerprinting Clay Shaw, he asked, ever asked him if he had an alias. And Clay Shaw just wasn't even thinking about it. He said, Clem Bertrand. So he admitted it. But the uh, judge who heard the trial would not allow the testimony of the arresting officer in, in, into the courtroom. Now, here's something astonishing about Garrison. 
Garrison didn't just arrest him. First of all, he went through a grand jury that just took minutes, and they overwhelmingly said, hey, bring him to trial. Garrison wanted to further protect his case, but more important, he wanted to protect Clay Shaw's legal rights. So he put together a three-judge panel, the leading judges in Louisiana, and they argued, and it was uh, a guy named Diamond, who was Clay Shaw's attorney. He and Garrison argued before this three-man tribunal over the Warren Report because Diamond wanted to introduce the Warren Report as proof that Clay Shaw did, uh, had nothing to do with Lee Harvey Oswald, had nothing to do with the assassination. Now, Clay Shaw is not even in the Warren Report, but you know what the three judges ruled? They ruled the Warren Report was never an investigation. <laughs> it is only hearsay. They got that right. <laughs> okay, well, they did get it right, but did you ever see that in the New York Times? Never. Did you ever see that in the Washington Post or even the Reader's Digest? You said the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. I'll tell you how smart Garrison was, so... I'm going to rewind. I said that earlier. When he arrested uh, Ferry, and then he, and Ferry dies and he goes after Shaw, he not only looked into their background and proved that they were all CIA, and Ferry confessed to it, by the way, uh, uh, to um, one of the fellows that's in the documentary who, talk, who talks about it. His name is Lou Ibons, and they, and they were keeping him safe in a hotel, and that's where Ferry confessed that he was... CIA Garrison investigated the birth of the Central Intelligence Agency. Now he says in the film, there was no re we got dozens of intelligence agencies. There was the only reason for this Central Intelligence Agency, and it was instituted by uh, Harry Truman, who said months before he died, the biggest mistake he ever made was helping to create the Central Intelligence Agency. And, and, and Garrison said it was to change the hearts and minds of Americans about Americans' foreign policy. They had to create a permanent war state because in 1945, it was only the war that ended the Great Depression. And, you know, you've got a, a million soldiers coming back. I mean, how many cars can they make? How many television sets or radios or refrigerators? And so peace was a threat to the people making billions off of the war. So as Gore Vidal predicted, they had to create fake wars. And Garrison said the biggest fake war was the Cold War. The Russians lost 25 million people. They're no threat to the United States. And then we also saw the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was fake. That brought us to Vietnam. And more obvious was weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist in Iraq. And that was fake. And now we have terrorists who have no country. We don't know who to bomb now because now the United States are telling us we have terrorists all over the... It is all fake. It is all fake. Now, what the United States did under the CIA was create what they call Project Mockingbird. In the film, you see Senator Frank Church in the middle 70s grilling the head of the Central Intelligence Agency... And he says, and he admits, we have 400 assets writing all the news for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Newsweek, all of them. And they're all, they're all named in the second film, which is called The American Media and the Second Assassination of the President of the United States. Now, let me tell you something. The people that run the CIA, now the CIA... They're just the hitmen for America's corporations. They right. don't run the country. Uh, they keep it under control, but they don't run the country. The people that, the 1% are, are the ones that run the country, and probably only a couple of dozen single human beings there who make all the decisions. Because it's, it's common knowledge. There are a lot of great books about the assassination there's one called The Devil's Chess Board by David Talbot. And he points out that Alan Dulles was indeed the architect of the killing. 
but he's just a hireling, even though he's worth, you know, two or three hundred million dollars. He's just a hireling. He's appointed to head up the CIA. He has to get approval from one of the people that owns the country. And Jim Garrison, I didn't never put this in the film, and I'm I'm telling you because it may be my next Garrison Files release. He thinks it was Avril Harriman, mm. and he explains why it was. Avril Harriman hated uh, John Kennedy. He hated the fact that even though he was an advisor, a military advisor to John Kennedy, because he's a plant to keep an eye on him. And he is the guy that in late October of 1963 ordered the Central Intelligence Agency, it's on record, to murder Diem right. in Vietnam. And over three and a half weeks later, later to murder John John Kennedy. So that's 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 how that happened. But these people are so smart. I guarantee you that ninety percent of all these assassination sites are run by CIA assets because ah. it only takes it only takes one person at the top to deflect everything. Right. Now look at we have. Uh, all kinds of people putting together all kinds of conferences coming up November 22nd in Dallas and New Orleans and Pittsburgh and New York, all over the place. Why? I spoke at Judith Baker's uh, two years ago only because that's when I released the second film at the Texas Theater where Oswald was arrested. And I told the audience, I said, I hope you, I never see you here again. And I said, I hope the next time I see you, it's next November 22nd, in front of the Justice Department, which should be made America's Bastille Day. And we should assemble there by the thousands every year to lay release or open that cold case. And they all cheered. But they're still holding these use. They're only like book clubs or right. sewing services. Right, it's become now. a cottage industry. It, yes, the only good thing about them it sort of keeps the subject alive. I mean, they're having one here in Toronto in a few weeks, and, you know, God bless them, even though, I, you know, that they're doing it, but it it's stuff we already know. Right, they're not moving the needle. Um, you mentioned the CIA, and I just wanted to circle back to Clay Shaw, because uh, back in 79, uh, Richard Helms, who was the former director of the CIA, he testified under oath that Shaw had been a part-time contract of the Domestic Contact Service of the CIA. And then in 1996, the CIA uh, also admitted that Shaw was one of theirs. Yes, but the point was that it, that couldn't happen in 1969 when he brought uh, uh, a Shaw to trial because Helms and all of these other people that were served legal subpoenas, guess what they did? They literally tore them up. And when I, uh, when I ended up in 1981, when I had real people on the air, on page 13, I read that the House Select Committee rules that four shots had been fired, and they turned it over to the Justice Department, which says nothing about it. I called Garrison, and I said, do you feel vindicated? He said, John, I feel like a blind man who's gotten a small trophy in a dark room. <laughs> Only I know I got it. <laughs> and I thought, God, that, that guy is so brilliant. And I said, well, I have the number one show in America, and I'm going to come down and tell you a story. And he said to me, John, I have not talked about the case in 10 years to anyone, but I'll tell you the story. And I went down, I put him on tape for three hours, and it was the most frightening inspiring, compelling Frank Capra story I ever heard in my life. And I, and I came back and tried to tell his story, and it was sabotaged. Hmm. Uh, and then and later, you, you tried to get Oliver Stone interested in the Garrison uh, files, and he didn't seem particularly interested. No, the, the shock to me was, tell you very quickly, that... Uh, the, the tragedy of television is that the, um, uh, the fellow that owned uh, Real People was named George Slaughter. Uh, he was like the Jerry Jones of television. He owned the stadium, but he didn't know how to play the game. <laughs> I, was, I was the quarterback and I was the coach, 
And literally, I was the team. Even though we had Sarah Bissell, who for the first two years was fabulous, and Skip Stephen, fabulous. And I brought Freddie Willard to the show. Anyway, Freddie Silverman, who was a living proof of the Peter Principle, <laughs> keep rising to the, the heights of inadequacy, as he gave Schlatter uh, a, a, an order to do a show which was a ripoff of Patty Shayevsky's network, and it was called Speak Up America. Now, I'm so busy 16, 18 hours a day trying to tell all the stories of real people, I can't help them, and the show's dying. And he keeps coming to me to help me. I tell him I can't. But then when I read in the paper about what happened with the House Select Committee, I said, I've spoken to Mr. Garrison. I'll tell you what, I won't take any money. I won't take any credit. Just let me tell Garrison's story. Now, in Garrison's story, was there's so much to tell, Richard, that it has to be a two-parter. So in the first part, it opens up. You see a close-up on him. And he said, Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with the assassination. He never fired a shot. Well, the, the studio audience, as if by osmosis, it was like the Pope or the president had heard something, had, had, were in, was in the studio. The studio was never so packed, and it never got, a, a, the reaction to Garrison was phenomenal because nobody ever saw him on network television uninterrupted telling his story. And so people couldn't wait for the second part. Here's where the dreadful tragedy kicks in, and we can get back to what it is you're talking about. When I interviewed him, uh, I said, how many shooters do you think there were? And he said, there were obviously three, two in front and one behind, but nobody in the uh, book depository. They're probably in the Daltex business. A, a building, and he said there were probably three men on each team because you had a guy to retrieve the shell, and since this is the biggest kill that they'll ever have, you have a radio person. And then uh, I asked him, I said, well, how many people, Mr. Garrison, do you think actually knew he would not survive Billy Plaza? And he said, well, it's on a need-to-know basis. He said, obviously, there are people in the... Uh, 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 Dallas Police Department, and then he said there are people in the media. And I said, the media? He said, absolutely, because they have assets, the CIA, uh, in the media, and they had to run with the fiction before the facts started to kick in. Of course, that media happened to be CBS and the person of Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather, because mm -hmm. you remember Rather lying to us about the direction of the headshot. So he said to me, he said, all in all, I would say 32. I said, holy smoke, that's a lot. So anyway, when I edit the story. The host that I had signed to tell that story is a guy named Marjo Gortner. Marjo Gortner was once a very famous American child evangelist, listened to by millions. He grew up to be a good actor. And anyway, I did not stay in the studio to watch... Uh, this episode because I was building a home for my wife and we were renting someplace. And anyway, when the, the broadcast is being aired, there's a close up of Marjo and he says, Mr. Garrison, how many shooters were there in Daily Plaza? And they cut to Mr. Garrison. And guess what he said? What? George Slaughter had gone at midnight oh. with a field producer and re-edited the story so that what Mr. Garrison said was 32. Oh, my gosh. Then my phone rings, and it's George Slaughter laughing like a maniac, saying that that man is a fool. We we made him look like he... You know, and I started screaming at him, literally screaming at him. Well, we didn't have cell phones at the time. We had uh, answering machines. And I record him accidentally on the answering machine talking about how he slandered deliberately Garrison. Uh -huh. So I, I slammed on the phone and I called Mr. Garrison. And I must tell you, Richard, I, cry, I was sobbing like a child. And I said, Mr. Garrison, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what. I don't, Mr. I'm stuttering and stammering. I said, I've recorded George Slaughter how he deliberately maligned you, you must sue NBC again. 
He had sued him once over the Walter Sheridan documentary where they tried to bribe Perry Raymond Russo and get him a job for $50,000 as an insurance man in Los Angeles. And they wired Russo so they had a criminal charge against NBC. And that's why he got 1030 or 1130 at night, supposedly equal time. And that's why we no longer have the fairness doctrine in the United States. We used to have a fairness doctrine uh. and equal time. So anyway, I'm sobbing and it's he, calming me down. And I said, if you sue him, you will own NBC and you will own George Slaughter. They won't be just giving you equal time. And he said to me, John, in a really calm voice, if I sued everyone who maligned me and libeled me, I'd never see my family. I'd never be in a courtroom. I'd never see my office. He said, just send, we love your show. Just send me a real people t-shirt. And he said, by the way, and then he gave me the name of the fake Oswald who was in prison back east. And you said, send him a real people t-shirt <laughs> and he'll tell you his, his story. So the next day, Slaughter and I almost got into a fist fight. And uh, I was fired from my own show, the show I'd created, and it died immediately. So now we're getting back to Oliver Stone. I, I, since I was unsuccessful and I've forgotten all about it, I'm trying to, you know, get back into show business or become a stand-up or a comedy writer or something. And I, I got a lot of, you know, talk shows and stuff. So I was still surviving. I did okay, even though Slaughter said he was going to destroy my career. Then all of a sudden, it's announced that Oliver Stone buys uh, Garrison's book on the trail of the assassin for $50,000 going to make the film. And days later, the Washington Post, one of the Project Mockingbird assets, a guy named George Lardner Jr., writes this article called Dallas in Wonderland attacking uh, Oliver Stone. And what had happened is um, uh, 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 Weisberg, Harold Weisberg, who was one of the advisors on the film, who wrote brilliant books called Whitewash. I'm sure you're mm -hmm. aware of some of Harold's books. Well, he was so upset he wasn't getting more credit for his input into the film, he sent the script to the Washington Post. <laughs> That's how they got it. Oh, my. So, so Stone was betrayed, and we were all betrayed by one of the great writers about the assassination. I mean, another egomaniac. So, in any event... I, I'm trying to sympathize with Oliver because I'm thrilled the book's going to come out in a movie form. And I call his office and I say, do you got Kevin Costner playing Jimmy Garrison? I said, I've got the real Garrison. I would love Oliver to be the executive producer of a documentary that we can release the year after his film. Right. And I'd like him to come over and look at the uh, tapes. So she said, hang on a minute. And she rushes off out of breath. And then she comes back and she says, uh, Mr. Stone says, send the tapes over there. And I said, well, you tell Mr. Stone to send his ass over here. <laughs> I'm not letting these tapes out of my sight to a producer in Hollywood. Are you kidding? They're gold. And she hung up on me. So now I get a call from Elizabeth. Jim Garrison's on his deathbed at this time. Mm whether it's cancer or AIDS or whatever, I have no idea. I don't know whether it's natural or unnatural. He's on the deathbed. And I get a call from Elizabeth, who's doing all his business. And she says to me, do you know somebody named Rose at Oliver Stone's office? I said, no. She said, we just got a call. And she said, Mr. Stone suggested that it wouldn't be a good idea for Mr. Garrison to have John Barber involved with the film because he's got a very bad reputation. Oh. And I, I said, what did your father say? And my father said, screw Oliver Stone and tell John he has my blessings to make my film. He has all of the material. Now, Oliver Stone had also tried to make a documentary about Garrison to follow up on his film and was told that I was doing it, mm -hmm. okay? Right. And, and while a friend of mine who knows Oliver 
got Oliver to endorse the first documentary, saying it's a perfect uh, companion piece to my movie. The thing that supports him more than anything is the second film. It's called The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Now, you brought up some of these CIA documents. Two of the most important are in this film. 1967 CIA document addressed to the legal department at the CIA saying we must help Clay Shaw in New Orleans, must offer legal help, Otherwise, Jim Garrison's going to get a conviction for conspiracy. That That wow. is in the film. It proves. Now, it doesn't prove at all that the CIA murdered him. It does prove that they were aiders and abettors right. to those who committed the crime. Right. And that's all you need to bring crim criminal uh, charges. And the other document is after people like uh, May Russell and Penn Jones and Mark Lane came out and Weisberg with these great books, the CIA has to sit down and figure out a way to discredit these people by calling them, first of all, communists. And then they go on and on on how to discredit them and get our political and media assets to aid us in uh, 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 discouraging them and discrediting them. That is in the film. It's amazing. More of my conversation with John Barber when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Colleen Forgus is our certified nutritional therapy consultant and she manages the full script dispensary at strangeplanet.ca. Welcome back, Colleen. How are you? Great, Richard. Thank you. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we'd talk about allergies. Where I live in Arizona, allergies are pretty much a year-round thing. So I'm not sure about everyone in the rest of the country, but I wanted to talk about a product called Allergena. This is a homeopathic remedy, and the thing that I love about it is that it's tailored to different regions or zones throughout the country. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's actually designed to work with the certain types of allergens wherever people are living. It's a drop that you just put under your tongue and you can use it two or three times a day. Easy to take. Sounds fantastic. And again, that's available at the Full Script Dispensary. Just go to strangeplanet.ca, register, and don't forget, all orders, you'll receive 10% off. We'll talk again next week, Colleen. Thanks, Richard. Take care. Full Script. Nature Grade. Science Made. These products have not been assessed by the FDA and are not intended to treat, cure, or diagnose. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again and what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. TV pioneer John Barber is here. I got to ask you about the trial and why did Garrison make the decision? He did the opening statement, he did the closing statement, and then he allowed James Alcock to do the the actual prosecuting or the cross-examining. And, and I don't know how you feel, but a lot of people don't think he did a very good job in cross-examining Clay Shaw. Well, I, I, can't, I can't attest to that because in reading the trial transcripts, you can't get the impact of it. Uh, I think that Jim Garrison, because his personality was so powerful, even though they did not have actual proof, they only they had they had hints of the fact that Shaw was CIA, but not real documentation which they needed, and Al probably not strong enough on his feet. I think had Garrison argued it, I think he might have won. Uh, but that's only speculation on my part, because, you know, he never was aligned to any political party. And even after that loss, he was overwhelmingly elected back to office. Right. He was. And now that means he couldn't prosecute Clay Shaw again, who died right away, but he could investigate the CIA. And so what they did is they arrested him for income tax evasion. Mm. 
And then he spent his time and his money defending that. And uh, they arrested him. Uh, oh, first they arrested him for taking bribes from Marcello and people like that. You know, everybody thinks Marcello was involved with the assassination. He was not. He might have known about it being mafiosa. He was not involved with it at all. So anyway, Garrison spent all his time fighting that, and he wins the case. And then they arrest him and charge him for income tax invasion for not reporting taxes on bribes he never received. That is how illegal the United States government was then in treating Garrison and and how they lie to this. I mean, almost everybody in the American government should be arrested, including the media. And and that's why, you know, you've, you've seen recently that uh, RFK Jr. has come out and said he believes a guy named Thane Cesar, yes. uh, who was a security guard, was a guy that shot the fatal shot behind uh, Bobby Kennedy to kill him. Right. And it's probably true. There were two shooters behind, and Sirhan actually was six feet in front, and he was firing blanks. He wasn't firing real bullets, because if he did five real bullets, he might have killed the two assassins. Behind him, there's a, a, a there's a book out by Lisa Peace called a, a Lie Too Too Big to Fail. I think the book is called. It's very good, and uh, and I spent uh, months trying to save. Uh, if you'll read it in the book. Trying to save uh, the job of uh, Thomas Noguchi as the coroner of L.A. Right. right. Uh, so because we needed an independent coroner, coroner. and you know I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. I'm just a storyteller. And this is a, the most important story in American history. It ranks up there with the American revolution. Honest to God, it, it's, it, it does. And the civil war, the three greatest stories in American history. The first two have been told on and off with a lot of lies. Gore Vidal told them with, with a lot of truth as so did uh, uh, Hard Zinn, who wrote uh, People's History of the United States, Donald Jeffries, who now writes in America, yes. did the forward to my book, the best writer I know about American history. He's got a, a book called Crimes and Cover-Ups from 1776 to 1963, which is a fabulous book, and you should have him on, oh, on your show. We've done three parts. Not. We've done three parts, and we're going to work our way through the entire book. Well, bless you. God bless you for that, because he is just fabulous, and he wrote a great introduction. He wrote a great, great introduction to uh, to my book. So, in any event, um, I think that uh, you'll read a great chapter about my uh, uh, wanting to pay RFK Jr. on the 50th anniversary, $25,000 to come to UNLV, to be interviewed by George Knapp and then introduce the film, The Garrison Tapes. And he turned us down at the last minute the day before. And I ended up having to do another kind of a show, uh, which was outstanding. And it included Joan Mellon and Dick Russell and Jim Mars and hundreds of thousands of people have already, already, already watched it. How do people and how do how do people see because you're releasing these on YouTube the Garrison files? How do people see them? The 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 files. uh, uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, and I'm doing all the talking, and shame on me. But the thing of the Garrison files, a fellow named Jefferson Morley, about six years ago, brought suit against the CIA uh, to get uh, um, files released. Now you've heard that. Last October, Congress had ruled that CIA had to release all of the garrison files as a result of Oliver Stone's magnificent film. They passed the JFK Assassinations Act, the Records Act. Yes. And even Donald Trump has said, you've got to release them. And the CIA has talked Trump out of releasing them for national security. Now, what national security do you have after a 55-year-old murder? You don't have any. It's all a sham. But it's not the CIA files that they don't want released. Ha, ha, ha. Because you and I know that they work in code. They have no blueprints that said, this is how we killed the son of a bitch. Right. Not at all. 
they don't want to release Garrison's files. And when I interviewed Mr. Garrison, I asked him about his files, and he says they will be released. Uh, the, the Warren Report files are supposed to come out in 2037. He says mine will come out in 2062, 25 years mm. later. Because he names names. He has everything there. Well, Jefferson Morley wanted those files. And about eight or nine or ten months ago, a uh, judge in Washington, D.C. ruled against the release of the Garrison files. And guess who that judge was? Mm. Yeah. Kavanaugh. Disappointing. Yes, monumentally disappointing because people think that Trump is the big patriot and Kavanaugh is going to be the big patriot, you know? Now, I was inspired to do part two of the Garrison Tapes called The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which is a smash runaway hit on Amazon for only $2. I was inspired by Donald Trump because when he was running for the presidency and attacking Cruz and saying that his father was in New Orleans, indeed there was a Cruz helping Oswald in New Orleans, whether it was Cruz's father or not, we're not sure, but it's true, there was a Cruz there. He starts talking about fake news, and he begins to sound like Garrison. Mm -hmm. So, Richard, I go back to my three hours, and I pull him out, and I look at him, and now he sounds like Donald Trump, 1981. <laughs> mm. and, he, and, and I thought, oh, my God. So I was inspired by what Garrison said to make this film. Now, my one hope for the United States is if Donald Trump means what he said, because at one time in the debate, he talked about reducing all these fake foreign wars. Now, you saw yesterday he's pulling troops out of northern Syria, and even Republicans are upset at him. Right. And he, there's kind of an accord with North Korea, and he's doing... and. He, he, he said something amazing, and he said it just before I came up here from Las Vegas. He said, um, he said, the Pentagon just sent me a dozen targets that we could hit right now in Iran because that's where the, the, they say the drone came from that set some of these oil uh, refineries ablaze in Saudi Arabia. And then I get a call every day from the crown prince who happens to lock up and murder women who drive, yes. whom he supports. And, and they say that the drones did come from the north, which means Iran. And then Trump looks into the camera and presses his finger down and said, you know, that'd be the easiest thing in the world. Just push the trigger. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because there is absolutely no proof that that's where it came from. Now, I must tell you, to me, that was shocking, because that's the only time since John Kennedy spoke up that I ever heard anyone in the presidency try to halt the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about in 1962. Only two people have done that. Donald Trump did it three weeks ago, and John Kennedy did it and had his head blown up in Dallas. So a lot of people are concerned that the same forces that killed John are out to kill Donald. But my one hope is if he gets a second term, you want to know something? We don't need an army in the United States anymore. Not one. We don't need them. We would only need them for one reason, because Obama has proven we can kill anyone with a drone. Right. He sent a drone on over to North Africa and killed a 16-year-old innocent boy. So it's easy to kill anybody, anywhere. The only reason we would need troops would be to occupy lands that we invade to steal their natural resources. My one hope is that the thing that America needs most is a free press. Because Thomas Jefferson said you cannot have a functioning democracy if you do not have an informed electorate, electorate, and you can't have that if you don't have a free press. And John Kennedy says it along with him at the top of the documentary. So my hope is that if he gets a second term, 
he will sign an executive order that reverses the dreadful Communications Act of Bill Clinton and does not let anybody, or Warner Brothers or Time or anybody, own more than seven television or radio stations. Because when John Kennedy was killed, we had 1,500 owners, different owners of television and radio stations. We heard all kinds of nonsense, the same way we do on the internet now. But as adults, we should be allowed in a free society to come to our own conclusions, be they right or wrong, because that's what a free society is all about. Well, we now have about six owners, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they have, we have six owners in the United States. Now, I don't know what it's like in Canada. Well, I heard a really interesting comment. When I came, uh, uh, Leno Sanic, who does Black Op Radio, and he's really, really good. He's like you. He's a really good reporter on, well, he calls it Black Ops, and you call yours conspiracy. And I've never heard you to be wrong about anything or any of your guests to be wrong. Well, Leno's the same, but he owns Fiasco Brothers Recording Studios in Vancouver, and a band was in there recording the other day. And they started talking about Trudeau once walking around in blackface. And, you know, it was like a Halloween party or some kind of party. And, and one of the, the singers said, you know, the worst thing that's happening in this country is the Americanization of our media. And I thought, God, what a brilliant observation. Because as I look around, I see the same thing is happening in your country. And while I'm still a citizen of the United States, it's happened in the United States. Everything's becoming Americanized. It's not globalization that's destroying the planet and turning it into pl- a plastic garbage can. It's Americanization. Well, you know, when I was when I was mm-hmm. a kid and in, in the 50s and 60s, I could name you a dozen people in Canada and 60 people in the United States on radio and television that I would have admired or I would have liked to have grown up to be like. I cannot find one now. <laughs> not yeah. one, not in your country and not in the United States. Well, we have a, the problem up here is the, um, the prime minister signed a check for $600 million and gave it to all of these supposed struggling media outlets. So essentially they're bought and paid for. And after about two days of going through the motions of criticizing the prime minister for wearing blackface, they changed subjects. So they're, so they're, they're in the, ta- they're in the tank. They're in the tank for the liberals the same way the press is in the tank for the, for the other side in, in your country. But that's the way it God, goes. That's funny. Cause I told the, the guy who said that, I said, you know, in your country, you got a prime minister running around in blackface and we've got a president running around in orange face. <laughs> well, can we trade? Can we trade? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. John, how do people uh, f- uh, get a, a hold of uh, the American media and the second assassination of President John oh, Kennedy? I, I, you go to Amazon, or if you go to my site, let's get back. I'll tell you, do we have a couple of minutes? Yes. Okay, let's get back to the, the thing about the files. Because Kavanaugh ruled about that, I thought, you know, I owe it to the people of the United States to get Jim Garrison's story out there. Because this is the country, I'd been deported from it twice, but I eventually got in. I had my citizenship papers handed to me in 1977 by United States uh, Senator John Tunney, son of the, uh, son of the famous uh, boxer. And I owed it to that country that gave me the opportunity to have the fantastic career I've had and an unbelievable family. I I owed it to them to tell my final story, which would be the Garrison story. I have 67 boxes of Jim Garrison's files. So I began releasing them about five months ago, one file every four or five weeks. And let's say I would take um, eight of the most important subjects. So I keep it down to like eight minutes but it comes from a hundred pages, let's say, I would put the hundred pages on my site and tell the people this is what I discovered about 
Shaw. And that's why I mentioned the, this James Whalen, who'd come forth and said that he was hired to murder Garrison. Let me tell you something. Uh, the second one was about Oswald. Let me tell you how smart Garrison was when he started investigating this case. He gathered, Richard, every single newspaper, TV broadcast, radio broadcast, everything about what happened within hours of the killing. Because that's when a lot of the truth yes. just came out. Yes. And in the second one, which is the Oswald file, you'll see a newspaper headline. Second shooter on the loose. Ta-da! Uh, never saw that again. No. Nope. But most important, most important was startling to me because everybody, Richard, has seen this picture of Lee Harvey Oswald in this crowded Chief Curry's office. And he's surrounded by Stetson's carrying magnums, right? Yes. That's pretty threatening. And a lot of blue suits. And he's in there for hours. And now Curry said we didn't have room for a secretary. And we didn't have a tape recorder. <laughs> so we couldn't record the interview. Okay. <laughs> well, why were they in there for six hours? And Garrison found somebody who was in that room. And guess what happened in that room? Because Garrison says to the guy, what did Oswald say when they asked him if they shot, that if he, that did he shoot Tippett or did he shoot at the president? And the guy said, they were not allowed to ask that question because not every cop was in on the murder. Only one or two, maybe Chief Curry and a couple of others, but not the regular detectives, so they wanted to ask the question. Right. But blue suits, and Chief Curry would stop them. And the reason Garrison concluded, the reason they stopped him, you know, if you've got, you're 21 years of age, okay, and you're surrounded by these guys who are firing squad. If they say to you, did you kill the president of the, did you shoot at the president or did you kill Tippett? You know what that kid is going to say? No, I'm with the CIA and the FBI. That's right. They told me to infiltrate this group to prevent the assassination. I'm just a patsy. Now, if these honest cops had heard that, you could have never suppressed that. Right. But he was, he was stopped from being asked that question. That is in the garrison files. And, and again, this is only like six or eight minutes. And then I have uh, three others. Now, I'm telling you something. If anybody, anybody goes just to look at those five files for eight minutes, they never have to look at my film or Oliver Stone's film or read a book or anything ever, ever to know that Jim Garrison solved the murder of John Kennedy, and he solved it that day. How do, they, uh, how do people get to see the, uh, the Garrison tapes? Okay, they can go to my site, which is www.johnbarbersworld.com, and Barber is spelled B-A-R-B-A-O-U-R-S, johnbarbersworld.com. Not only can you see the first Garrison tapes for nothing, you can say when I was on the Tonight Show with Sinatra and the Dean Martin Rose with Red Fox, but you can see the five Garrison files, and you can see a lot of other stuff. Uh, uh, an hour that Leno Sanic and I did, which is called "The Last Word on the Assassination," and you can find a link to my book. The book is called "Your Mother's Not a Virgin: The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout." who changed the face of American television. And in the book, the Garrison JFK stuff is only like a, a, a fifth of the book, less, less than a fifth of the book, but it's powerful. Mm -hmm. It's powerful stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm just delighted that, you know, that I came here to Toronto. I met my sister, whom I hadn't seen in 50 years. We spent a year together. I got to meet you in person, been such a... And admire or listen to you all the time. Got to come in and do the the uh, the interview with you in the studio. I met a very bright lady named Deborah Knight because does great PR. And I hope to come back in February and do a proper book tour 
with book signings at Indigo and other bookstores. So I'm 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 just I'm just thrilled. Uh, absolutely. Likewise, Be my glass. friend. I, I beg your pardon. I say likewise. Oh, Richard, and you know I can't I can't thank you I can't thank you enough. Honestly, uh, you just you know it's just. Because I, there's nobody in Las Vegas that I can tell these stories to or talk to, you know. It's just uh, isolated f- folks like yourself. And as I said, as a kid, it was the listening to and reading of stories that kept me going. And that was the telling of stories. And it's not just a garrison story, but if you saw me on the morning show the other day, uh, I just it was just wonderful, these two blonde Ladies on the morning show, we talked about how I met Sinatra and became his private writer. And I just loved doing it, and I got phenomenal response to it. So I'm anxious to come back again and do it properly. Well, I look forward to uh, you coming back in February, and uh, you and I will hopefully get a chance to talk again. Oh, we, we will, most definitely. All right, John, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on an upcoming episode. If you haven't visited my Strange Planet shop, what's the holdup? Just have a peek at some of these amazing, unique designs created exclusively for Strange Planet by Atomic Werewolf Studios in Arizona. A new batch of great t-shirts just arrived, including one for the uh, politically incorrect crowd, shall we say, and I'm one. It's called the Toxic Male T-shirt. And those of you concerned about protecting America's electrical grid from an EMP attack, well, there's one there for you too. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Strange Planet Shop button at the bottom of the page. Check it out, have fun, get your Christmas shopping done early, and help support my work. The Strange Planet Shop at strangeplanet.ca Coming up next time, in the first of a two-part series, Jonathan Kahn unveils the Jubilean Mysteries of the Bible. It's the master secret of the end times, because the end times is going to be linked to all these things, and, and um, it involves also the mystery of salvation, the mystery of heaven. It's really an, one of the biggest things overarching the entire Bible, but coming true in our time. And everything from, uh, it'll, as we'll, we'll see, it'll involve everything from Mark Twain to Moses, from Ezekiel to Donald Trump. And it's, it's, it's just a very gigantic thing. My, my biggest challenge, Richard, was how to get this in one book. I had about 3,000 pages of notes or revelations on this thing. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.